Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Wednesday. This is Seattle Now. Depression and anxiety are pretty common, also very treatable, unless you're afraid to speak up, because having a mental health condition can force you off the job. Last week, a pilot who experienced a mental health crisis aboard a Horizon Air flight allegedly tried to cut the engines. Jonathan Levinson with Oregon Public Broadcasting is here to talk about why pilots might not want to share that they're struggling. But first, let's get you caught up. A follow-up to an episode of our show from earlier this year, the Seattle Police Department is implementing a new policy on the use of ruses during investigations. It defines a ruse as a statement an officer knows is not true. It allows officers to use deception in five circumstances, de-escalation, to call or provide comfort, to promote safety of any person, scene management, and to bring potentially violent situations to a peaceful resolution. Seattle Mayor Bruce Harrell's office calls the policy the first in the nation to govern the use of police ruses. Undocumented immigrants in Washington are now able to buy health insurance through the state's marketplace. We're the first in the nation to offer it. The option is unlikely to be popular at first, according to officials. The plans can cost hundreds of dollars a month, but it is needed. Almost half of Washington's undocumented immigrants are uninsured. Critics of the policy change say it could make Washington state a magnet for undocumented immigrants in need of medical services. And we mentioned the ferry Chimicum being dry docked for repairs yesterday. And now yet another Washington state ferry has been temporarily taken out of service. The ferry Kittitas had a radar issue Monday and was taken off its route. Repairs were done yesterday. A third of the Washington state ferry fleet is currently out of service. Bay Area pilot Joseph Emerson will be back in court later this month. He faces federal charges for allegedly trying to shut off a plane's engines mid-flight. Emerson was off-duty and riding in the jump seat of a Horizon Air flight from Everett to San Francisco last week when things allegedly took a turn. By his own admission, Emerson had been suffering from depression and recently gathered with others to honor a friend who died several years ago. On the flight, he told the plane's captains he was not okay. The event has triggered new scrutiny on the aviation industry and pilot mental health and what happens if pilots seek treatment. Reporter Jonathan Levinson with Oregon Public Broadcasting has been looking into it. Pilots who choose treatment for depression can be out of work for years. Jonathan, really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. So... Joseph Emerson had said he was experiencing a mental health event when he allegedly attempted to stop the engines of that Horizon Air flight. Bring us up to date. What are the latest updates on this case? Emerson faces 83 charges of attempted murder in uh, in Oregon State Court and uh, one charge in federal court of interfering with flight crew members. Uh, he's currently in custody in Multnomah County Jail in Portland. His next court appearance, I think you just said, is uh, later this month. Yeah, yeah. Now, he had 20 years of experience as a pilot. What can you say about what we know about him personally? 
Yeah. Uh, I asked his wife uh, that very question, Sarah Stretch. Uh, she described him as, she said, he's kind and caring, sensitive, passionate, strong, loving. He's, she said that he's a devoted dad and husband, um, the kind of husband and dad who, who really wanted to be involved with uh, kids, his kids and parenting, treated their relationship like a true partnership, she said. Mm-hmm. Um, outgoing and funny. She described herself as a little introverted, but they just redid their backyard, you know, and he was always inviting people over to their house for dinner just to hang out. Um, he's also very devoted to flying. Uh, he wanted to be a pilot since he was in fourth grade. Um, before every flight, he would tell his passengers something to the effect of, you know, we're all in this together, be good to each other. Um, and just total, very obsessed with safety, you know, so important to him. Alaska Airlines actually made him the airline safety representative at San Francisco International Airport. You know, from everything you're telling me, it seems completely out of the ordinary that Joseph Amerson would be the person who would be pulling the fire suppression system on this airplane, which brings us to my next question, because this story has a lot of people talking about pilots and when they seek treatment for mental health. You know, let's talk about this. When a pilot is depressed, which is an extremely common and very treatable condition, what might they consider before making that appointment with a mental health provider? Yeah, it is a huge decision for a pilot to seek help. Uh, if they go to therapy for depression or anxiety or any other condition, it means they're pulled from flight status. They temporarily lose their medical clearance. And getting it back can be really difficult. So to reapply for their medical clearance, pilots have to see certain FAA-approved specialists. There's this battery of tests and evaluations they have to go through. Um, for example, they have to voluntarily submit their therapist's notes to the FAA. Wow. And if a pilot is put on antidepressants, they have to be on the drug for six months before they can reapply. And even then, there are only five approved drugs they can be on. And that's, you know, that's very limiting. Um, medical examiners said it's also not really rooted in any medical best practices. Um, so six months isn't that long, but the FAA, massive bureaucracy, there's a backlog. So a couple of pilots I spoke to uh, who went through this said the review and uh, approval process, it took them three years. The whole time, they're not flying, probably, so you're out of work. If you're lucky, you're on disability pay, which is, it depends on the airline, but somewhere around 50% of your salary. Um, all those tests and evaluations you need aren't covered by insurance. So, you know, even if the FAA approves you, you may end up having to spend thousands of dollars out of pocket or uh, leaving the industry altogether just to support yourself and your family. You know, there is so much in what you just said there. I want to break it down bit by bit, if we can. First, it sounds like pilots have a lot of reasons to put off treatment if it may mean, like you said, that their work is on hold for years, that they enter into this labyrinth of bureaucracy. How does that show up in the industry? What does that mean? A lot of this conversation we're having is about the stigma around mental health, uh, you know, managing depression and anxiety, uh, this antiquated notion that we have that like, like people with depression are somehow unsafe. Um, and the FAA's got a very serious job of keeping flying safe, right? Flying in the U.S. is, it is incredibly safe. And experts I spoke to said the FAA is, they're terrified of an accident. So making changes to their policies um, carries liability. It carries the risk of, you know, finger pointing at some point. Um, but like you said, the reality is depression is very common uh, and not dangerous to the public. A 2016 study found that 12.6% of pilots have depression, 4.4% uh, 4 had suicidal thoughts in the two weeks before they were surveyed. 
If you do the math, there are two pilots per plane. That means a quarter of every flight has a depressed pilot in the cockpit. So if these were truly dangerous diagnoses, one retired pilot told me that planes would be falling out of the sky. And, you know, that's not happening. Yeah. And we are talking about an extremely stressful job, Jonathan. This, you literally have people's lives in your hands every time you're in the pilot's seat. Let's talk more about the pilots you talked to about how they came to the decision to seek mental health and how that really played out for them in their career. Yeah, you know, first, I want to respond to that. It is a very stressful job. The pilots I spoke to, the medical experts I spoke to, they actually said it's not stressful because of why you would think, right? Flying a plane isn't necessarily that stressful unless something really goes wrong. The the routine day-to-day is pretty straightforward. The stress comes in in their lifestyle, right? The, the, the things that most people use to manage stress, things like exercise and a good diet and a, you know, a healthy family life, all these things uh, not available to pilots, a, a regular sleep schedule. These are all things that pilots struggle to have access to and incorporate into their lives. So that's where a lot of the stress actually comes from. Um, the two pilots that I spoke to, um, pilots at major U.S. airlines, they actually went through this process and said that it was, like I said, an incredibly difficult decision to make. And it took them three years to get their clearances back. And one of them said that once they got on medication, they actually felt great within about six weeks. But still, they were waiting several years before they could fly again. And it was just very frustrating, a huge stress on their life amidst an already stressful circumstance. You know, what you mentioned, Jonathan, about the schedules and the time changes and the really, really depleting lifestyle that pilots lead simply because of the job that they've chosen. These are these are known things in the industry. How are they addressed? Do you have any information on that? I mean, a little bit, right? Some some of these things are, are just built into the nature of the job, right? Pilots have to fly across time zones. Uh, pilots have to be away from home. That's built in. Um, Union contracts, things like that, try to address some of these and mitigate for the stresses. Uh, Commercial airline pilots need what's called a first-class medical clearance. That's the most rigorous of the different levels of clearances pilots need. I mentioned earlier uh, the six-month wait time if someone is prescribed antidepressants. That applies if they decide to stay on the antidepressants. If they decide to stop using them, they still need to wait 60 days before they reapply. And after that, pilots may need semi-annual or annual evaluations and testing to keep that clearance, which are also very expensive and also paid for out of pocket. And so it's just a cumbersome process. I also think it's important to say here that, you know, none of the pilots I spoke to thought that this should be easy. There should be a process. There should be evaluations. But they all thought that the standards are currently grounded more in fear than in good medicine and that that should be updated. And that also, it's just, like I said, painfully slow that this should be done faster. It shouldn't mean being grounded for, you know, several years in, in some cases. Let's talk about the FAA policies around this. What is the Federal Aviation Administration doing to address this issue? They have made some changes recently. They used to not allow any antidepressants. They've recently expanded the list of what is approved. It's still limited. There's still only five approved antidepressants from one class. So there is a swath of medications out there that are not permitted. Um, The FAA told me that it's doing things like increasing training for medical examiners around mental health, um, supporting research into mental health and increasing staffing so that those wait times are hopefully coming down. A spokesperson also told me that they're working hard to decrease the stigma around reporting mental health issues. But 
again, an aviation medical examiner I spoke to said that uh, these are very incremental changes and that the FAA is still way behind in, in their policies around these issues. And of course, this is all happening in the aviation industry, but there are lots of high pressure environments where workers face similar situations and similar pressures to not reveal vulnerabilities, right? What can we learn from this particular situation that applies across the board to a lot of professions? Yeah, I think the broad takeaway is that depression, anxiety, all these mental health challenges that we've talked about and that people deal with are so common. They're so treatable. And so whether it's the FAA and other regulatory bodies, employers, insurance companies, or, you know, all of us just in the general public who are, who are confronting these issues ourselves, we can probably, you know, do more to accept them and normalize them, talk about them and seek help when we need it. Absolutely. Reporter Jonathan Levinson with Oregon Public Broadcasting, really appreciate your time and your reporting. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me and for highlighting this issue. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. This show is only possible with your support, so click that link in the show notes to make it happen. Today's episode was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, Vaughn Jones, Matt Martin, and Lucy Suchek. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.